Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones, and this is episode 68. In today's episode, I'm discussing how you can heal your dog's cruciate ligament injury at home without surgery. A new update on dog heart disease, otherwise known as DCM and dog food. Lastly, how you can help the koalas being tragically affected by the Australian wildfires. Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes and Stitcher. i definitely appreciate it. If you'd subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, you can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. Lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book. You can do so by going to www.veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. So what is a cruciate ligament injury? Most of the time you're going to have a dog that's got typically a sudden onset of lameness on his right or left rear leg. The most common thing to cause that is an injury to the knee and the most common thing that causes the knee to be injured is a rupture of a ligament within the knee called a cruciate ligament. There are actually two cruciate ligaments in a dog's knee joint, but the one called the ACL or anterior cruciate ligament is one that most commonly is injured and the one that needs to be either surgically repaired and or stabilized and repaired at home with some of the things we're going to discuss. The way a veterinarian first makes the decision on whether or not your dog has injured his ACL, doing an exam, isolate and find localized area of knee pain. Secondarily, they're likely going to give your dog some type of mild painkiller sedation and they're going to do a thing called a drawer sign. And what that means is that the veterinarian is stabilizing the position of the knee, of the femur, uh, the big leg, leg bone above, with one hand, and they're going to ma- manipulate the lower bone called the tibia. So, and if the tibia moves forward, like a drawer being opened, then the cruciate ligament is ruptured. And it's something I've done multiple, multiple times in veterinary practice, unfortunately. So, what is this ligament? It's a band of connective fibrous tissue. It's really strong, thick, thick band. You know, many of these dogs is upwards of half an inch wide and it almost seems to be probably a quarter of an inch thick. The strong ligament that is just stabilizing you know the upper bone the femur with the lower bone the tibia and it's the primary thing that's giving stability within the knee itself. As far as you know how does it get get, get injured or not I think more the belief now it's more a matter of more of these chronic micro tears. So we've got our dogs that are suddenly stopping and starting you know chasing after the ball that's been thrown by the chucket. As they do they put these fairly big forces on the knee joint itself and you can get sort of small micro tears to eventually one day boom that entire ligament uh, can rupture. So what can you do? Do you need does your dog need to have surgery or not? Well first of all part of this depends on you know are you able to one to afford surgery? I mean upwards of you know four to five thousand dollars is pretty typical now to have an ACL repaired. Secondly there's some interesting stats coming out. Here in one study a group of dogs was studied for six months after cruciate rupture at the end of six months, 85% of the dogs, less than 30 pounds of body weight, had regained near normal function. And what that's telling me is that I probably, unfortunately, in the past had done surgery on dogs that didn't need to have surgery done. Secondarily, there is a number of things that you could potentially look at doing at home. Um, to one, actually, ha- actually have your dog repair that uh, injured knee without having to have surgery. I've always said if you've got a really active dog, you know, and say you've got a dog that's in doing agility and, you know, he's 60 pounds and above, then most of the time surgery would be considered an ideal option. But as I said, it can be very expensive and not necessarily every dog 
dog is going to need surgery. When we're dealing with slightly lighter dogs or we're dealing with older dogs, then I think this is some really good things to consider. And regardless, whether your dog has surgery or not, really listen to the podcast, take some of these points to heart. So the first big principle here is strict controlled activity for 12 to 16 weeks to allow for proper scar formation and joint stability. This means leash walking, no ball chasing, and no jumping up. So long term, we know if your dog is going to have his knee heel at home, he needs to form all this scar tissue, especially in the medial part, the inside part of the knee, that's going to give renewed knee stability. So that's the first big principle, strict controlled activity, 12 to 16 weeks. Secondly, if if this has just initially happened, really look at doing some cold therapy. You're going to help soothe pain, decrease inflammation. You can be using frozen peas or corn. What you're trying to do is ice pack that knee, and you can do that for 15 minutes, three to four times a day. Cover that with a maybe something really thin like a pillowcase. Works really well for lots of these guys, a good natural way, way to provide immediate pain relief. This may need to be only done for the first, you know, some between three to seven days, but it can also be done after surgery if your dog has had surgery. Third, I want you to be considering one of the dog knee braces. If you're going to not be doing surgery on your dog, or even if you've done surgery, this is also a potential option to consider. The big thing here is we're trying to give stability back to the knee as much as possible and really restrict the chances of your dog putting those big forces on the knee to cause it to either tear again, especially as your dog is forming scar tissue. Because we know long-term the big issue is when the knee is chronically unstable, you get cartilage rubbing with cartilage, it wears down to bone rubbing on bone, you have all this secondary arthritic pain, along with this unstable knees. What we're trying to do is prevent that from happening. There's an, a company called the OrthoDog Cruciate Dog Care Knee Brace, which is one actually currently my brother is about to order and try on his dog, Heather, who is a Border Collie who's just torn her ACL. So I'm actually going to be doing a follow-up video on it, and I have referred many, uh, many dog owners uh, to this company with some pretty good success and theirs is slightly different in terms of you don't have to take these specialized measurements but they are encouraging that your dog is at least 40 pounds and up but what they're doing is they're stay putting a brace around the knee and also they have straps that go over top of the back so what they're saying is they've got a unique and original butterfly design of the back anchor support of the dog knee brace lending support to the lower back and hip areas to reduce strain from limping by stabilizing and balancing the rear end of the dog it may help prevent injury of the other knee or joints. And you can look for the OrthoDog braces at going to orthodog.com. I want you to start your dog on some essential fatty acids, the omega-3 fatty acids. Big thing is using you're using high enough doses. Yeah, a really inexpensive one for most of you guys is flax oil. Dosing your dog about one tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight daily. Um, you can also consider fish oil as another, another option. Regardless, you just want to make sure you're using therapeutic levels of 1,000 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Every dog that has had an injured ACL, whether they have surgery or not, should be on a good quality dog supplement, including glucosamine, chondroitin, and MSM, and you want them to be in therapeutic levels. You want to have 1,000 milligrams of glucosamine for 40 pounds of body weight daily, 500 milligrams of chondroitin for 40 pounds of body weight daily, 1,000 milligrams of MSM for 40 pounds of body weight daily, and I do have those levels in my supplements, Ultimate Canine and Ultimate 
Ultimate Canine Advance. Curcumin is a really good option found in the spice turmeric. The big thing is you want to be using the 95% curcumin. It's been shown to be surprisingly effective for many people that have array of different arthritis as it is being beneficial for our dogs. So when we're looking at it as a natural anti-inflammatory to help deal with some of the secondary pain and inflammation that goes along with an ACL tear and some of the arthritis is going to happen regardless. When you're looking at curcumin doses, we're looking at 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Often it works well in combination with another herb called Boswellia. The Boswellia dose is 50 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. I do want you to consider using CBD or cannabidiol. It's a great natural anti-inflammatory. And once again, that's what we're trying to control. Control the secondary inflammation. Take the swelling down within your dog's joint as much as possible without some of the secondary side. Uh, the CBD dose is one milligram per 10 pounds of body weight daily, but it can also be put on topically. And this is a real good topical combination. So you can pick up a topical clear liquid called DMSO. It's going to be available online through Amazon, also available in most natural health stores. And I we used to use this in vet practice. I would put on a topical anesthetic called lidocaine, um, and then we'd apply topical DMSO. It alone can act as a single agent anti-inflammatory, being beneficial for these dogs that have knee arthritis. Also, it, it'll take whatever surface is applied on the surface of the skin. It'll take it into that knee joint. Um, so it's a really good option. You can also put something else topically, such as Tromil, a homeopathic, and or CBD topically. I want you to consider acupressure. It's another real good uh, sort of natural remedy you can apply at home. If you have access to an acupuncturist, that's even better. A couple of the acupressure sites you need to focus on versus the GB34 point. It runs below the knee adjacent to where that tibia flares. So the tibia is the lower bone just below the femur. You can run your finger along your pet's lower leg and feel the long flat bone below the knee. This is the GB34 point. The SD36 point, this is a pretty important one. I often try to use it when I'm running. Um, it's great for tonifying the entire, entire body. Seems to be especially important for these dogs that have knee injuries. Slightly below and lateral to the GB34 point, it's approximately one fingertip width away and lateral to the GB34 point. Another last option is called palm acupressure. Just put your whole palm on top of the affected joint. And the easiest way is to, to affect energy flow. Place the palm of your hand over your pet's painful joint, visualizing healing energy and flowing into that area. Honestly, I did a fair amount of acupressure with my last dog, Lewis, who responded really well to it. So before you discount it, and I myself I had a fair amount of acupuncture, and I can really attest to its benefit. Now, I really want you to, to encourage you to start thinking about massage early on. Um, and the big thing here is you're, what you're doing is you're working on the muscles below the knee, above the knee. Because when we're trying, we want to stimulate blood flow. We want those muscles to be least painful as possible so your dog can flex and extend that knee. So what you can think of doing is gently putting fingertip massage of the knee, plus using things called petrissage. That's kind of this sort of light drumming motion on the muscles behind, above, and below the knee. The big thing is we're trying to use massage to stimulate blood flow to the affected areas. After about seven days, you should be considered PROM, which is passive range of motion. And here what we're doing is we're just lying your dog on his side. So he's lying, say if he's injured his left knee, he's lying on his right side. So his left knee is up. And we're going to support the knee with one hand, support, grab the paw with the other hand. And we're going to slowly flex and extend that leg. Because what we're trying to do is one, go through some range of motion, because a really big key for recovering after any type of knee injury, whether your dog's had surgery or not, is they need to redevelop that with that muscle mass and they need a range of motion. The other big thing with doing the passive range of motion is you actually produce some joint fluid. And when your dog produces joint fluid, 
mode, the knee is less painful, there's got more lubrication. You get just can imagine, right? Your car engine doesn't have any oil. Guess what? Those pistons aren't working. So that's what you're doing by passive range of motion. So it's something very simple. You're you're lying, you can do it two to three times a day for approximately 50 minutes each time. Even try to make a goal of you know doing it twice a day, 10 to 15 minutes, starting after the first week. And passive range of motion is something that, that can be done throughout the entire duration of your dog having you know this ACL injury. You, you can do it up to the four to six month mark if needed. We're really trying to encourage that range of motion. So I really want you to focus on that. If you have the option of considering hydrotherapy, you want to start that two to four weeks after the injury, that's a great option. The big thing here is you're getting your dog in the water. So say if you have access to a hydrotherapy pool, most of us won't have that. But if it's spring, summer, fall, still warm enough, you can get your dog into a pool, you can get your dog into a lake, great. The big thing here, and this can start, as I said, as soon as two weeks after the injury, the buoyancy itself supports your dog. He can go through the range of motion it's kind of like passive range of motion but it's supporting his knee it's supporting his joints it's a really good way for him to start going through the range of motion with his leg with that knee joint itself building up some of the muscle mass again but without causing any type of force or injury on the knee so if you really have that i encourage it more than anything right it's of all the different things you know i've sort of focused on with acl injuries it's pretty key if you can go for hydrotherapy. Now, some of the other specific canine uh, physiotherapists, they focus on a number of different exercises, especially after dogs have had surgery, but they can also apply to your dog if he hasn't had surgery. Because what we're trying to do is get your dog to start using that leg again, and also get a sense of where the leg should be, should be positioned called proprioception. And so think about yourself having an injury, right? And you're going to a physiotherapist. Much the same principles can be applied to your dog as, as well. So there's one here called exercises to increase body awareness. What they do is they want to walk your dog in a figure eight pattern or through a series of obstacles in a weed pattern. And what you're trying to do is get him to walk around and he's using that proprioception. He's like, oh, okay, I should go this way. I should go this way. Imagine walking in this figure eight pattern. Another one is called a shifting exercise. Have your dog stand squarely on a non-slip surface and gently nudge the hind end from side to side for 10 repetitions. This will help with balance and core strength and will lay the groundwork for further core conditioning. Third, consider the sits to stand exercise. This exercise is called the doggy squat. Have your dog sit squarely and then stand for five to ten repetitions. There's a tendency to cheat and have your and often your dog will use the non-surgical leg to push up. So it's often helpful to have their surgical leg against the wall as you perform this exercise, right? So they sit and stand. Another one to consider is three-legged standing. Have your dog stand squarely on an on-step surface and then gently lift one leg off the ground and hold the other for five to ten seconds. Alternate with all, but the, but the leg is affected, the ACL injured leg. Once your dog becomes good at this exercise, you can try two-legged standing by lifting the, the diagonal legs, left, front, and right behind, or vice versa. Lastly, consider walking in deep grass or long grass, and deep snow or long grass. Walking in deep snow and long grass will make your dog pick their legs up higher, which will build strength. This should only be done if your dog is on a short leash and you have control of them. So there's a number of different options to consider. But, and in conclusion, I think what I want to have you guys focus on is know that it takes minimum four months, we're looking at 16 weeks, before you've got really good scar tissue and, and you can really say, okay, my dog's finally you know, in the clear. But if you can be really strict, really thinking with leash walking, preventing this like sudden stop start, so they're not chasing after the ball or they're chasing after the chicken or whatever else maybe they want to chase after. And you look at getting yourself a brace, you look at some of the different remedies, you look at doing passive range of motion, try to do some hydrotherapy, maybe some of these other physical 
physiotherapy exercises, I think most dogs will respond really well. It's just making, it's a bigger personal commitment on your part, but really can make a huge difference. And if you can avoid surgery with your dog, I think most of us would sort of put our hands up for that. So I'm, I'm hoping you found this helpful and it's something that you can apply. The second part of today's podcast was an update on DCM or dilated cardiomyopathy in dog food. But the first part, I fairly recently read a news story that came out of NBC and they were updating DCM and dog food. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what they stand in the story and then uh, respond with a second one. The first part, they're saying the FDA announced last year about a possible link between uh, DCM or dilated cardiomyopathy, which can cause heart failure, and the link with grain-free pet foods, replaced grains with ingredients such as peas, lentils, or potatoes. Uh, By April, the agency said it received 520 reports of dogs being diagnosed with DCM related to diet. In June, the FDA took the unusual step of listing 16 brands of dog food under investigation. It's still not known exactly how certain dog foods may be be ultimately damaging your dog's heart. Initially, the the primary thought was with taurine, which is an amino acid. They thought that if they had low levels of taurine, it's an amino acid that's needed for normal heart development and function. But now they've found that of all these dogs coming in with DCM, only about 10% have low taurine levels. But now, some of the thought is that perhaps some of these diets are interfering with how taurine is metabolized and maybe it doesn't make its way to the heart exactly and there's likely some dogs that have a specific genetic predisposition. A veterinarian by the name of Dr. Lisa Freeman, a veterinary nutritionist and professor at the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts is quoted as saying, you know, it's not going away. So so yes, it exists. The FDA has yet gives specifics on here's the actual updated number now. So then I was pointing myself towards an Another, another article that really highlighted the other perspective. And I think it really helped me, and I think it probably will help you guys. So what they're saying, to put this news into perspective, there are approximately 77 million dogs in the United States. And since 2014, there has been just over 500 cases of DCM. So what they're saying, in other words, there is a 0.00067% chance of dogs developing DCM over the last six years that may be related to grain-free dog food. So we've got you know, this big highlighted number of like, holy cow, dog food, DCM. The FDA you know, goes ahead right away and they publish this list of foods that potentially uh, are related and at higher risk. Yet, when you start looking at that in context, you see that one, you got canine cancer affecting nearly 50% of all dogs. Joint disease and arthritis affecting nearly 100% of all dogs. Actually, one in 300 dogs will develop diabetes. So that sort of helps me put this into perspective and sort of make maybe kind of summarize my thoughts. You know, I'm reading the one NBC News story, which is like, okay, it's dire. There's more dogs. I read the second article that came from the Dogging Post, which is like really putting it into perspective. Like, okay, really, the chances are just minuscule. So then what do I think? How do you make sense of all that? How am I applying with my own dog? If your dog is doing well on a this boutique, exotic, grain-free dog food diet, don't necessarily run out and change your dog's food. And I have my current dog, Tula. She's a, she's on a grain-free dog, dog food. I'm not changing it. But don't change it unless your dog happens to be a golden retriever. Some of the initial research came out, and they actually focused on golden retrievers and found that there was an unusual number of them developing DCM, and they actually linked that with diet. So they're kind of the one big, big breed. If I happen to have a golden retriever, I personally wouldn't be feeding him a grain-free dog food. But more importantly, I'd just be feeding less kibble period, less commercial dog food. 
don't just feed kibble. And that's what I'm applying with my own dog, Tula. I'm varying her diet. Every two or three months, I'm changing her kibble. But more importantly, I'm feeding her less kibble. I'm making her home food. Recently, it's been twice a week. She's been getting stew. She's still getting some raw food, minimum once a week. She gets these pre-packaged frozen raw. And I'm continuing to give her that. She's even getting some canned food. Uh, two to three times a week. It's an array of different things. Is there a problem? Yes. Clearly, there's some issue with diet being linked with DCM or heart disease in dogs. But I personally don't think it doesn't warrant all this immediate attention. You know, in fact, when I went to search on some of the side effects to some of the common veterinary medications, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, you know, i.e. Rimadyl, etc., some of the flea and tick medication, I cannot find a single source. The FDA is not publicly releasing this data. Yet they're so quick to highlight the so the 500 cases of DCM and then name specific pet food companies. So ultimately, I think we just need to apply a bunch of common sense, realize the chance of your dog ever getting dilated cardiomyopathy as a result of diet is very slim, um, but stay updated with it and I'll keep you up to date as things change. And just, you know, feeding your dog better. Don't just stick to the commercial dog food. Lastly, I just wanted to make a little plea and just talk about these catastrophic Australian wildfires. The worst drought in history and record high temperatures are taking a tragic toll on native wildlife. You know, the blazes, which have been burning across Australia for months, have raised homes and wiped out entire towns. Across Australia, nearly 18 million acres of land has been burned, much of it bushland, forests, and national parks. Nearly half a billion animals have been impacted by the fires in New South Wales alone, with millions of potentially dead according to ecologists at the University of Sydney. That figure includes birds, reptiles, and mammals, except bats. Right now, they're saying over one-third of all koalas in southern Australia have died. So because of that, I really encourage you to look at donating uh, to an animal rescue society. There's one here in particular. Um, it's called WIRES, W-I-E-R-S. And on it, they're saying you know, over 800 million animals have been affected in Australia since September. WIRES is rescuing and caring for as many sick, injured, and orphan native animals as possible. To help rescue and care for the wildlife, there's some specific things you can do to support this uh, animal charity. I've done my research. I've looked onto it as far as in their very legitimate charity that is really making a big difference. And more than anything, you know, if, if you can support in any way you can, I think it would be so, so uh, appreciated by them. And so their actual website is www.wires.org.au. And I'll put a link below uh, in the podcast description as well. So once again, thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it informative and helpful when you're looking at an ACLE injury, you know, when you're trying to make sense of diet and DCM. And lastly, just being aware of what's going on in Australia. If it can help, that would be great. Um, I would also appreciate it if you subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. And lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news.